Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is a View from the Bullens podcast. Listen to all the news, views and inside track from Goodison Park. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to a very special episode from A View from the Bullens. With, me, with myself, the host, Ben Winstanley, and today I'm joined by Richard Buxton. Welcome to talk about all things Everton on this episode. Richard, thanks for joining me. Uh, a massive talking point currently in regards to Everton Football Club is the apparent takeover from the American consortium who are looking to buy Everton Football Club from Farhad Mashiri. You're very interested in this topic. Where's your current stance on it all? Well, I think it's fit. First thing that we need to say is that I think you look at the last takeover when Farhad Mashiri came in, and you know the the, the consortium that was leading the, um, the race then, John Jamos and Charles Noel, they had the exclusivity arrangement that John Fulton and um, and Masia Kaminsky had, well have now, um, and never got the deal over the line. So I I don't know how much we read into that, but um, it's interesting that they've sort of shown their hands through the media, through obviously um, you know 
Keith Kenyon's obviously got good links with the Telegraph still, um, and that seems to be where it's come from. So it's interesting that they've come to the table, but you wonder why it, it's come to this in terms of this takeover potentially happening and also how did it get to this? Because, you know, you, you could go back over the past six years of Barbara's year, you wonder at what point were you going to sell? And then it's come to the point where it seems like he has, hasn't really got much to show anymore. You know, obviously, USM's commercial ties with the club have, um, have been wound up for, for now. Um, the club is, is hamstrung by profit and sustainability rulings and, you know, of, of all the times to sell, this feels like a bit of a weak position from Everton. So, um, it's interesting that it's even in the equation at the moment. Yeah, definitely. You, you mentioned obviously profit and loss, then the sustainability, and obviously financial fair play. What what can you tell us anything more in regards to that in relation to if a takeover has happened soon? Will, will that change? Or from what I'm led to believe, it, it, it kind of you know, numerically stays the same, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And and this is what you know a lot of people seem to forget when a new ownership comes in in this profit and sustainability era that. You know, it isn't just a clean slate. I mean, you look at Todd Bowie at Chelsea, he might have, you know, endless amounts of resources to plow into the club, but you've still got to operate in that sort of financially sustainable model. And that's that's the thing, because of Everton's previous issues and, and you know, they have worked with the Premier League on that and, and been quite open about that. Um, that that position is not going to change. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting when you look at the, the people involved, John Thornton, um, his net worth is something like $25 million. Um, Kaminsky's is, is, is closer to a billion, so he's probably more on the sort of Farhad Mishiri, um financial pay scale, but um, it's not going to really count for much if the club is still hamstrung, and we won't know the full details of that until probably next month. Yeah, definitely. We look at, obviously, you said, Maciek Kaminsky, uh, chief executive of Minneapolis-based Talon Real Estate. That's where his wealth comes from. You look at John Thornton, American businessman, uh, executive chairman of Barrett Gold Corporation, and a bit of a, a controversial figure, shall we say, in, in the United States of America. Um, he's got a lot of people against him. A lot of people talk about him being Donald Trump's right-hand man. And it, it's very interesting, isn't it, Richard, in relation to the timing of this bid. Everton are under so much scrutiny in regards to the profit and loss, the, the money being hemorrhaged out of the club. Why do you think, potentially, that Mishiri is looking to sell now? I think potentially he's cutting his losses because, you know, you go through the numbers, it's like 600 million on players, uh, three directors of football, five permanent managers in the past six years. So, you know, it's not it's not exactly the model of how to run a good football club, is it? So, I mean, maybe Mercedes is thinking now that the club's family state is preserved. You know, he's obviously put into supporters uh, in that open letter the other week an undertaking that he wants to deliver the stadium. He wants to make sure that the past mistakes aren't repeated, but... I think maybe he doesn't trust himself. I mean, I'm only speculating, but maybe he doesn't trust himself not to interfere, not to meddle, because why else would you walk away unless your your own financial situation is so um, perilous? And, and that's potentially something that's happened with the USM um, tie-ups and, and with uh, us not being sanctioned by the EU and the US. But maybe maybe the, the funding that he previously had and could rely on isn't there. So that, that could be a factor. But also, I think there's an element of people are trying to hand with Everton, I think it's that classic case of a distressed asset. You know, we've seen it with with many clubs in the Premier League, even Man City. Man City was a, was a club drowning in death on the tax in Chinawatra. Abu Dhabi United came in and, and sort of solved that. Uh, Fenway Sports trip across Stanley Park with Liverpool. They bought a club that was 300 million in debt. You know, you go through all these these clubs. Chelsea, as we say, you know, Ramovic had been sanctioned and, and didn't really have any any control um, that he could wield anymore. So... I think th- these are the sorts of situations where people, when they know that a club is in is in peril, 
I think they do try and see, uh, capitalise on that. And I think that's a big factor here. And that's why I'm sort of a bit wary of saying that uh, Thornton and Kaminsky will be the, the new owners of Everton because I think there's still a lot more mileage than this one to go. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my, my thoughts on it all is, I think, like you've said, I think the time and that they've seen us a, a possible cheap deal. They can get Everton on the cheap. There's a brand new £500 million stadium being built, all been planned. The plan of permission in there, the commercialisation they can do off that will be absolutely astronomical. It'll be enormous once that gets gets done on the, the banks of the Royal Blue Mersey. I just think the likes of Peter Kenyon coming in, um, obviously ex-Manchester United and, and Chelsea CEO. You, you look at what Jose Mourinho said about this guy when only recently on Being Sports that he is a winner. He is someone that knows how to run a football club and he runs a football club well. The people in the background of this consortium, it's difficult to say. that They have a lot of issues over in the States like I touched on before. But look, Everton needs to start being run by like a business. John Thornton is well respected over in the state for his ruthlessness business. Um, Everton needs to be run like a business. And for, for me personally, how I feel about it all, the current Everton model is run a bit like a bit of an array. It's scattered. It's it, There's no structure. There's no strategy. It's literally throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. Now, what I want to see for any new owners, regardless of what's going on, is someone coming in with a structure, we bring businessmen into the club, and we look to get a, people going to commercialise, get sponsorship into the club, look to, to have a strategy. It's a lot more nowadays, football clubs. It's not just 11 men chasing the ball around the field. It's a global industry with millions and millions and billions of dollars of pounds funded into these football clubs. And the background of these men, that they are successful. Obviously, I, I spoke to my good friend, the Bobble, in relation to how this actually came about. And he was explaining to me that Mashiri actually went to look for further investment for the stadium back in March. And when talks progressed and figures were discussed, there was murmurs and talks and chatter of, oh, ha, would you be willing and open to sell Everton, Everton Football Club? And Mashiri's kind of said, look, come to the table, let's talk facts and figures. So, it, it, it always corresponds with what's going on in Russia and obviously Ukraine. And you, you can't look too far away from obviously Usmanov and his assets have been frozen. The USM sponsorship, the £30 million naming rights for the stadium and other sponsorship that Everton currently get into the football club has currently been wiped. Now, maybe Mashiri doesn't see us as a, a, a business where sponsorship's going to come very easily. We've seen that the, the controversial stake.com as well so obviously going for a record share deal but going against the morals of the football club that our CEO spoke about back in 2020 so it is a real torrid time for Everton it's up in the air obviously the, it's all been signed and sealed so we have to show the, prem, the, the new consortium we have to show the Premier League their funds Mashiri has to show the books to this company and it, like you say it's nowhere near done there's other consortiums sniffing out in the background there's more American consortiums having a look and other Saudi Arabian consortiums showed an interest in the past few months as well. So this isn't the end of the line. This isn't signed, sealed, and delivers, as you quite rightly said. It's an, it's an ongoing process. But what effect do you think will happen on the stadium, Richard? Do you think, obviously, Mashiri values this at 500 million? Do you think he's going to get that fee? And do you think he's going to get the cost of the stadium covered on top of that as well, bringing the total to near enough a, bit, a billion pounds? I mean, I think if he gets a billion, he's done very, very well. Because when you look at where Everton are, compared to where Chelsea are and, 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 you know, what Chelsea went for for several billion recently. I think that the clubs are poles apart at the moment. Um, you know, Chelsea have obviously got their own issues with, with Stamford Bridge and, and rebuilding that. But, you know, Everton have got, as I say, plan permission and, and trains going up on Bramley Road. So 
you know, that puts them in a bit of a stronger position in that respect. But competitively, they're, they're far away from Chelsea. So I think if, you know, anything upwards of, you know, getting a commitment to the new stadium and, and maybe recouping some losses, because I don't think he'll get the full 650 million or whatever it was um, he spent on on players and, and directors of football and, and managers. I mean, that, that's got to be easy. Best, for, best part of three quarters of a billion. So I think he's going to have to look at probably cutting some losses on the way. Um, so it's about what the deal's got to be right for Everton, first and foremost. I mean, my my own personal reservations with Thornton and Kaminsky is because Thornton has got, as you say, ties with Donald Trump and, and even Steve Bannon. And, you know, you, you know yourself, Ben, Liverpool's not assisted to stand for that brand of politics. But at the same time, you know, we've got to get away from this notion that it's that saying that, uh, that we keep seeing on Twitter that Everton's, uh, you know, a, a licensed charity with a football club attached to it. We've got to start to sort of invert that. You know, Everton have got to be a club, first and foremost, that is competitive and, and fighting the business end of the Premier League and maybe even European football before, you know, banging the drum for the charitable aim. I'm not saying that, you know, the charitable arm is is a problem. I'm saying, it, you know, it's incredible, and you know, but it, it shouldn't be the fact that that sort of supersedes what happens on the pitch. So whoever comes in, the deal has to be right for the club and it has to be right for getting Everton back to the position where that infamous tagline is sort of a thing of the past. Yeah, I completely agree. Let's take it all the way back uh, on the last part of this takeover. It's February 2016. Farad Mashiri just purchased Everton Football Club for £220 million. Here we are, six years on, having spent £500, £600 million on players. What are your thoughts on the Mashiri tenure? Uh, overall, I know it's going to be a long one, and I'll have my say once you've gone. But I give you the opportunity to talk about Mashiri's tenure. Well, like I said before, it's how not to run a football club, isn't it? You know, you look at like the course we tell at QPR and, and other clubs who've sort of fallen by the wayside in the past few years, and they had new investments and it all went belly up. And we've seen what's going to happen with Burnley. You know, their buyout is going to really hit them hard financially, and you know, may set them on that you know list of cautionary tales. But um, Mashiri came and he had he had. Good intentions, I think there's no question about that. But and the first, I'd say, season, season and a quarter before the results started turning badly wrong uh, for Ronald Koeman, you thought there might be something here that you know they might, you know, they had Europa League football, and you thought there might be a platform to build here, and then it all unraveled. And and it's been that classic case of throwing good money after bad. Every mistake's been compounded by making another costly mistake. And you look at the list of, of players signed. Who can you really say? There's been a cast iron success with Charleston, 100%. Jordan Pickford, yeah. Beyond that, you're, you're sort of scratching around and saying, well, who's actually been, you know, what you call, you know, a classic buy? There's not been many, has there really? There's been a lot of deadwood being sort of heaped onto the squad. And, you know, I think I worked it out when Lampard came in, between his his own signings with Deli Alley and Donny van der Beek and then everything that his predecessors had done, there was, there was eight different managers' fingerprints over that squad going back to to David Moyes with Seamus Coleman. So, you know, it's, it's been a, a real mess. And I think Mishiri's not helped by the way he's handled things. I know we've spoken off air about this, but Mishiri's sort of habit of going to talk sport and Jim White and, and sort of running his mouth has really not helped things. And that's not how you, you run a football club. So I think for all the good he's done with the stadium and trying to to raise, the, you know, the standards of the club by bringing in these big managers and, and trying to break the transfer record several times over, it's not been great. And, you know, I think people will, will appreciate what he did in terms of bringing Lampard in. But again, that was a that was a corrective move because he brought in the wrong manager in the first place last summer. You know, the club stayed up by the skin of its teeth. Um, it's going to have a new home at, at Bramley Moor Dock. And there has been a lot of good 
memories of Tati Gilson in recent months. But again, that's not Mashiri who's done that. That was the fans. So I feel like his legacy is going to be a mixed one. And that's assuming that the, the stadium does um, come to fruition. It, it looks like it's, it's going to. But um, as someone reminded me the other day, Valencia have got a half-built stadium that was has been sat um, unused and unbuilt for another 10 years. So, you know, it could happen with everything. You just don't know what's around the corner. We didn't know what was going to happen with Russia. So, you know, I think I'm cautiously optimistic that Whatever happens, you know, Bramley Moore will still be built. But I think in terms of Machine's legacy, that's probably about it. I think you summarised it perfectly with the uh, the quote, that's not how to run a football club. Because for me, he came in and I spoke to a lot of journalists like yourself and other people, and they were explaining when Machiri came in, he looked at the previous season. He looked at who had a good season outside the top five, six. He looked at Southampton. He said Ronald Koeman brought him in. He looked at Leicester, finding Kante, finding other players, finding Mares. Realised it was Steve Walsh, their head scout, went and got him. Um, Realised Guilfrey Sigurdsson had a brilliant year the year before, um, assisting, obviously, Fernando Llorente. And he went for both of them, obviously, signing Sigurdsson in the process. So it's as if he came in, had his little football manager, and he put his fingerprints all over it without actually allowing people within the jobs who get paid to go away, look at scouting networks, look at scouting systems to put their professional business-minded spin on things. And like you say, that's that before has put me back a bit that we've had eight managers, players in that final squad when it comes to the end of the season. It's just unbelievable. unbelievable. We've been run so badly. The stadium, like you said, absolutely brilliant. Uh, can't fault him for that, for what he's done for the city. Fingers crossed, like you say, it gets finished and gets built because once that's built and up and running and the commercial deals will start flooding in, that is when, for me, that Everton will be able to start competing again. I'm lucky enough to went to White Hart Lane this season. That is a, some some stadium they've built down there. It's unbelievable. And you look at the money that they've been able to spend this summer. They've got circa of £150 million plus. And that's all from taking loans and deals out of the stadium to obviously go and improve the team on the pitch. Talking about off the pitch, Richard, we had Michael Ball on a few days ago talking about the Everton under-23, uh, well, now the under-21, shall I say, reshuffle. Paul Tate is now the under-21 manager. Uh, Leighton Baines is now the under-18 manager. How has this news welcomed you? Uh, we obviously, a lot of people say jobs for the boys, but in this instance, a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, I think that we're sort of moving away from the sort of, you know, just giving any anyone who put, pulled on the real blue shirt back in the day a job. I think, I you know, Baines has actually been doing, you know, some good way behind the scenes with the pathways um, management and, and Paul Tate has, has sort of served his apprenticeship um, with the under-18s. But, I mean, the biggest thing for me about the uh, the two coaching appointments anyway, I think we'll get on to Gareth Foster in a minute, but the two coach appointments is they've come through the system. They know what it means to come through Everton's youth system. They didn't have the best time there and the Leighton Baines had to come back later in his career to actually have a full career at Everton. But both players, when they were players, where in the system, you know, Paul Tate was, you know, a striker in, in the, the early 90s and was moved on by Mike Walker. Baines, I think, speaks for himself. And they'll be able to sort of impress upon what the, you know, what the club needs and what the club requires from players. And I think another thing that's interesting is um, the appointment of Kevin Nicholson as a coach educator, which Mishiri alluded to in his open letter about the, the structural review. Um, again, and someone who knows Everton like the back of his hand, the Boyard fan, grew up in the Joe Real era, going to Goodison. So, you know, he'll he'll be able to, to sort of make sure the coaches stay on the right path of what the Everton way is and what it means to support and it means to the club and it means to, to the people within the club who, who have been, you know, you look at Graham Sharp on the board now, you know, people like that who who have been around the club, like Baines, as we just said, 
who know what it means and know the importance of it, not just, you know, uh, you know, a, a sort of um, a uniform approach, which seems to be the case under the previous uh, under 23s coach, good as it, as it was and as successful as it was with the Premier League two trophies that were won. I, it clearly wasn't fit for purpose in terms of getting the players ready for the next level for first team football. Because when you look at the, the amount of actual graduates who come through, you know, you go back 25, 30 years, Everton were outstripping every other Premier League club for homegrown graduates getting into the first team. Past few years, you're looking at Anthony Gordon, John Joe Kenny, and Tom Davis, and that's about it. And there's been this sort of lull, and you've seen it at other clubs where it's the sort of production lines ground to a halt a little bit. And that feels like what's happened at Everton, even though, as I say, they won the Premier League two trophy twice um, under Unsworth. So something had to change. And I think getting people who have an intimate working knowledge of the club from you know, an early age is, is perfect. And, and I think, as I say, bringing in, you know, Kevin Nicholson's been brilliant because that's another thing that that it does, you know, you get people who embody everything, similar to when Joe Rule was was um, watching over the um, the players who were out on loan from the academy. I think, you know, you've got someone who understands the club and what it means. And I think that's, that can only be a good thing for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at, obviously, on top of that, what you just discussed, there's some amazing points made there. You look at how other some structures, some other positions that have come up to play. A new academy director in Gareth Prosser, who's obviously worked with Kevin Felwell at Derby County and at Wolves in the past, so they understand each other. And then Kevin Felwell's come out and said that he's looking at implementing a strategy across all age groups, creating a pathway to the first team. And like you said, the past three, four players, like John Joe Kenny, Tom Davis, um, Anthony Gordon, Ross Barkley. There's always players on the borderline who we talk about as Evertonians who are there or thereabouts, but they never seem to get the, the chance to really push on. And decisions in the past for me haven't been absolutely correct. There's a few players should have been out going out on loan, getting some first team experience to potentially raise revenue. Obviously, with the appointment of Gareth Prosser, um, Paul Tate, and Leighton Baines to the under 18s uh, coaching role. Do you think Kevin Felwell has been left alone in order to obviously put his finger marks on what's going on now at the lower level at Everton Football Club? Oh, certainly, yeah. And I think you look at what you said about you know making sure there's a pathway to the first team. I mean, I'm surprised Everton went on board with this sooner because it's become a staple of a lot of Premier League clubs. I mean, it actually started probably about 15 years or so with Aston Villa when they had um, they had everyone moving to Bodymore Heath. So the academy were, were working alongside the first team and so forth. And then Man City have done that and Liverpool did it um, under Brendan Rodgers. That became a thing which has sort of carried on. So a lot of clubs have adopted this sort of uniform approach for making sure that the first team is mirrored at under nine level and then at under 18 level and at under 21 level. Um, and it's, 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 it's staggering that that hasn't happened before because, I mean, why else would, um, would Fellwell bring that up as a, a sort of a, a new point? Because it should sort of, it should go out saying really that. Everton should be having a pathway because we, we, we all know about the Everton way. We all talk about the Everton way. But there doesn't seem to be uh, any coherence with, with that previously. You know, it seems to be a case of the under-23 play one style, the under-18s play a different, the first team, because of a turnover and different managers, have played a different one. And that's why I think a lot of players have struggled when it comes to the first team because they're not ready for what's, what's you know, expected of them. You know, the style of play that Ronald Koeman had was different to the style of play that David Unsworth had and... You know, the style of play that Unsworth had was different to Moyes when he was in charge and, and, and so forth. So there was never any sort of consistency. But I think if you have Felwell, Nicholson, and then obviously Tate and Baines working together as a, as a brain trust, they'll be able to formulate a, you know, a system that even if Frank Lampard doesn't stick around, and obviously we hope he does because that'll be a sign of success, that the approach that they use at academy level can be transferred to 
whatever style the, man, the next manager plays. So I think that's that's something that's really important. And I think that will be key moving forward because, as I say, as you say, there's not been many players who've come through. And, you know, the one I keep thinking back to is Kieran Dowell. And you think about how many chances he had to, to sort of make his mark. And, and there weren't many. And when he did have a chance, he sort of failed the audition, really. But I put that down as much to, um, the co- you know, the coaching that was sort of put on for him by academy and, and first team and the disparity there as much as technical abilities. So, you know, if we can avoid more cautious sales like that, then that'll be perfect. Talking about sales and departures and people leaving the football club, Everton have obviously announced that a numerous amount of players have are set well set to leave the club on June the 30th when their contract expires. You're quite keen to talk about this because obviously numbers involved and stuff. So obviously Everton's financial fair play, profit and loss structure, wage structure. It's all for near enough a European club. What are your thoughts? Obviously, the likes of Sigurdsson, Tosin, Delph, Kenny, El Ghazi, Donny van der Beek, all these players leaving. And what does it do for Everton's wages and the books? Well, in terms of Kenny, I mean, I've, I've got to give him credit because to have the courage of your conviction to, 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 to turn down, you know, a new contract with your boy or club and pursue your career elsewhere. I mean, I know he's, he's get, you know, getting on in, in years now and he's not quite, you know, the young buck that he was when he first came in, but to do that, I think a lot of players will be complacent and say, I'll stick around and, you know, I'll be second, third choice right back. Um, and he hasn't done that. And, you know, he's gone to the Bundesliga, he's gone to Hertha Berlin, where obviously he, he feels that he's comfortable. He obviously had that, that good loan spell at Schalke um, in 2018-19. So um, I think he's probably going to flourish there and, and, you know, good luck to him on that. But in terms of the numbers that that brings in, I think you look at the, I mean, there's an online... Um, table of, of what Everton's wage structure was last season and, and by the looks of it John Joe Kenny you know you're only saving £780,000 a year on his um, salary when you look down the list I mean even you know Sigurdsson £5 million Fabian Delph £4.1 million Wander off the books it's not a great deal I mean Tosin £3.1 million so you're only between the four players who, who you know either have been announced to leave or are expected to leave it's only around £30 million. So, you know, £13 million is a drop in the ocean compared to what Everton need. You know, I'd be looking at probably, the, you know, the, the, the higher earners, you know, the, namely, Yeri Mir and Andre Gomez. I think Gomez has been very average. Um, you know, he's obviously had that bad injury, but, you know, he's been decidedly average. And, you know, he's costing the club £5.8 million a year. Yeri Mir, even worse, because he's one of the, he's arguably the highest earner at £6.2 million. Now, you, you, when you look at the numbers, I, I have to show some numbers on this because, when he came in on loan from Barcelona um, and when he signed permanently, he's missed 63 games since 2018. I mean, that's crazy. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's basically a Premier League season plus, you know, going all the way in both cup competitions and, you know, you'd have to add on European competition if you were in it. it, it it's, just, it's not really good enough for the ability that he's got that you, you can't rely on a player like that to be your first three centre-back when he's fit and be basically like a Ledley King type figure who can only train once a week, otherwise he'll break down. So, it's just a case of who will take him off Everton's hands. I mean, the soccer sport of um, Benfica taking Gomez back. Um, obviously, they're a bit flush with cash from the Dawa Nunes sales to Liverpool, so they they might be able to to bring something in, but that'll barely cover his salary. I mean, I can't imagine it being more than five six million, um, and that'll probably be you know a heavily structured deal if that did happen. And Mina, I don't know who who'd really be interested in the player with his fitness record, so. They're the biggest ones you need to shift off the books. I think Tosin obviously didn't uh, contribute much since he's been back from uh, the Dorna Besiktas. Obviously, Sigurdsson, you know, didn't play last season. Um, Fabian Delph constantly breaks down. Very good player, but, you know, too injury prone. And for what you, you're paying him, 
it didn't seem really worth it. So you can understand why the club hasn't renewed his contract. Um, so in short, there's a lot of deadwood to shift still, and and you know it starts with a highest end, I think. Yeah, definitely. And going into incomings and centre halves who are fit and firing and ready to go, Everton looks set to announce that obviously a four year deal for James Tarkowski on a free transfer from Burnley from July the first. What are your views on Everton's doing free transfers on business like that? For me, it's a very shrewd signing and one of the, the smartest business decisions that we've done in a long time. Yeah, and I think, you know, going to sort of the bargain basements, as, as it were, it might actually be uh, beneficial. I mean, we think we saw, for all the faults of, of, of Rafael Benitez, you know, he brought in Andros Townsend, Damari Gray, um, and, you know, and a couple of goalkeepers for for, for, for Buttons, really. You know, it was a, a two million uh, gross spend on those players. So, you know, it does have benefits. And I think Tarkovsky is clearly a proven Premier League player. I think, you know, I, I remember back in 2018, I was looking at it and thinking, what you know, he should be... I think he was in the running for the um, the PFA Player of the Year at the time. And, you know, he was the only defender alongside all these, you know, stellar attacking players alongside Mohamed Salah, Kevin De Bruyne, Son Hung Min, and, and he's the only defender and also the only non-top six player. So... You know, his quality's always been there, and and you look at the alternatives was the the could uh, play in central defence, and we've you know we've gone over them in the past. Michael Keane, Mason Holgate, they're not really the future. I mean, James Tarkovsky at, at thirty years old probably isn't the future either. But in terms of stopgap and someone that Ben Godfrey can learn off, you know he's perfect. And on, on a free transfer, you know they're the sorts of deals that you want to be pursuing because you're not going to get value for money in this market, knowing that a lot of sound clubs are going to see Everton as being right for the picking, either as a newly minted club from a takeover perspective or because they've narrowly beaten relegation and, you know, are desperate for, for, for incoming. So I think free transfers could be a, a good option, but obviously, the you know, the players have got to be the right calibre. You can't just have, you know, um, 10 Salmon Rondons coming in in, in, in July. That, that's just not going to work for anyone. So for me, I think the, you know, it's a box smart. And I think Falwell and Lampard have got a strategy in, and, you know, that will be geared towards how Lampard wants to play. I think they'll find players and they'll on earth a few uh, rough diamonds or, you know, if Richardson does go, I think they'll be able to, to use that to their advantage and by scouting smartly. Yeah, you compare, obviously, Tarkowski to, to like, to Yerry Mina. Tarkowski hardly misses a game, shall we say. I think last season he played 35, 36 games for Burnley in the Premier League alone and his injury record's impeccable. And against Yerry Mina, your centre-half for me are one of the most key areas of the pitch. You need a, a constant, well, two players that play together regularly, understand each other's game, understand where if one pushes forward, one's going to sit in. And for me, it's a defender in James Tarkowski that we we haven't had for a while, a, a bit of a leader, a bit of a snide, a bit of a someone who is going to put the foot in in the places where it's going to hurt and he will be 100 mile an hour, leaves everything out there on the pitch. And he seems and sounds like a genuine nice lad as well. So I'm over the moon. I think we've got a £20 million defender on a free transfer. And you look at, obviously, Andre Gomez, they're paying £20, £25 million for him, plus his wages. It's over a £50, £60 million deal over the course of his contract where right, you've got no upfront fee. It's His book value is nothing, which is it's brilliant for the, obviously, the FFP and the Pro- Premier League sustainability profit and loss because we're not paying out on him. So I'm over the moon to have him inevitably join on a four-year deal when he's back from holiday. Um, I hope you're enjoying yourself out there and chilling and relaxing. But possible departures, and this is obviously a bit of a taboo subject now. Obviously, Everton have got, arguably for me, three or four big assets. Obviously, with Charleston, 
Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Jordan Pickford, and whether people think it was a success or not, Moise Ken or Keane, shall we say, has got market value. What are your views on this, Richard, and what can you see unfolding for Evertonians listening over the next course of the uh, eight weeks before the season starts? Well, I think Moise Keane's not going nowhere. I think that um, Juventus have been trying to haggle for a discount on his his buying option in 2023. I mean, it's £24 which is, you know... It's a knockdown of what, what he originally left Juventus for in 2019. So I don't think Everton should really you know indulge him on that, especially when you look at his return. It's like six goals and 42 games last season. Um, he's a dispensable asset at the right price, but if Juventus are looking, as the report suggests, that to flip him, so basically get him on the cheap and then sell him for a high value to someone else, I mean, that's not going to work for Everton. So, I mean, Everton will be aware of these reports. They are aware of, you know, these claims come from Italy, so they will be aware of that. Um so I think Moise Keane doesn't move apart from staying at Juventus for another season on loan and, and then they will have to cough up um, ideally. Calvert-Lewin's an interesting one because you know, a year ago, people were fearful of Calvert-Lewin leaving because obviously Richardson had said he'd give Everton another year to see how things played out. Um, Calvert-Lewin obviously was coming off the back of a, an incredible season on the Carl Ancelotti. Um, you know, I think when you work out his... his Goal per game ratio. I think it was something like a goal at every 0.45 games under Ancelotti. So it was a like 36 and 80. Really good return. Um, but unfortunately, because of injuries and because of the, of the change in style and him coming back into a difficult team at the time, it's fair to say, we never really got to see the sort of the real abilities of Cavalier. you know, you never know if this this winger heavy setup that, that the previous manager tried to implement would would have benefited him with a good run of games. You know, it's one of these these great unknowns. And um, I think his legacy at Everton, he sealed it with that goal against Palace. That was, you know, that, uh, you know, if he walked away tomorrow, I think most Everton fans would, would you know, wish him well. Um, and obviously, in the context of where he's been struggling, um, I think they probably would take him, um, even for a decent fee. You know, I think there's talk of Newcastle and Arsenal, who, are, who both aren't short of a few bob coming in. And I think, you know, 45 to 50 million, I think, would be reasonable to lose a player of, of Calvert Lewin's um, ability because. Obviously, obviously, he's had injuries, but also he's developed into a, into a full international. And, you know, he's, 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 he's shown he can step up when, he, when it's required. Just unfortunately, he had that bad injury spell. So in the context of that, and obviously he's, he's not probably going to be in the England squad anytime soon. That's probably his sort of market value. Now, Richarlison's a tricky one because I think with Cavalooing, obviously Moise Keane's just not even, even in the equation. So you don't even, you know, you can bring an academy striker in to replace him for the impact he's had. But Calvert-Lewin, I think you could probably get a compatible player, maybe not on the level he's at at the moment, um, but probably the sort of, you know, upcoming sort of player um, who could step into that void. Um, so similar to his profile, so that, that could be an option if Calvert-Lewin left. But Richarlison, I think he's going to be a very difficult player to replace like for like. Um, there's talk of Chelsea, there's talk of Tottenham, um, I think if you're going to do business with either of those clubs, you need to make sure you're having compatible quality players being thrown in as a mate weight because the recent talk has been 50 million and, you know, that's still a 20 million uplift, maybe even 15 million up on what he was originally signed for. I know the fans chant he only cost 50 million, but it's probably close to 32, 35 really um, in terms of the initial outlay um, and the whole deal overall would have been worth 50, but... You know, Everton, again, it comes down to the development of the player. He's developed into one of the best attacking players in the Premier League, I think, and, you know, consistently hitting double figures in each of the past few seasons. 
Um, I think that's a player who can't really be sold on the cheap. So, I mean, with Chelsea, just talk of Mayquate and Conor Gallagher is the one that we keep hearing. And obviously, you know, Frank Lampard knew him quite well at Chelsea when he was manager there. Christian Pulisic keeps being touted, but I just can't see that one because I think Thomas Tuchel is, is quite um, taken with him as a, as a player. So, um, you know, they're both brilliant options, but I think Gallagher is probably the more likely. So if you're talking Gallagher and maybe 40 million, you know, to bring the deal up to maybe 60 million, maybe, then that it's it's still over the end of what I think Everton should accept. But I think that's um, probably a better deal than just, you know, a straight up 50 million and, and then, you know, having all the selling clubs basically um, trying to take you for a ride as they did in the past. Um, Notably 2017. But the biggest regret was that um, Ficario Tamori left um, last summer because I think he would have been brilliant if he was an un- unknown quantity. Lampard could have tapped into that. And then there's another centre back for the long term who you can have Tarkovsky alternating with Godfrey and Tamori. And that would have been perfect. And then you would have had your centre back pairing for the next five, ten years at least. So Tarkovsky doesn't have to be fully fit for every game um, because obviously as you get older, you do injuries do. Um, flared up a bit more so that would have been an ideal scenario but you know that's hypothetical so I think if Conor Gallagher is available that helps Everton in terms of you know improving the options further down the pitch but Richardson is definitely one of a kind player you know you just look at the way he's, he plays and the way he puts Everton out there you know it's it's so difficult to find a player of that sort of drive and that work ethic in the Premier League at this day and age yeah, completely agree. Once again, I think Richarlison, not many other fans realise just how imperative and how important he is to, to Everton Football Club, what he means to us fans and arguably kept us in the Premier League, six goals in the last nine. It, it, it just kept us up. There's no doubt about it. Him and Jordan Pickford's form kept us in this league and we can look forward to the next season ahead. It's it's going to be a long summer. There's so much going on. Uh, the, obviously, the, the Everton takeover, the under-21 spin-off, the academy restructure, players going, players leaving. It's going to be a real busy one for you, Richard, isn't it? Yeah, there's never a quiet moment at Everton, is there? And there hasn't been for a good few years, to be honest. And, and since Machiri came in, it's been uh, it's been foot to the floor, really. But, um, I mean, the one good thing is that, you know, we all went to that Palace game fair in the worst. And, and when, when they went 2-0 down, you just thought, that's it, it's done they're gone and then you know to, to come back and, and have that incredible moment and you know it's one of those things that I think we'll all remember those of us who were inside the grounds I think um, it's given us a springboard for optimism that you know we, we might see in Everton that that a lot of us grew up and recognised you know a team that, and a club that sort of you know is a is a bit of a um, a trenchess in the Premier League as it was previously and, and, and can compete at the highest level um, I mean I'm probably a bit, a bit older than a lot of people um, who are listening but I remember when Everton, you know, were one of the the, the, the eminent teams in, in English football. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to see Everton back there again. Um, because Not just because, you know, I've, I've, I've spent so much of my life covering them, but also because when Everton are flying and when Liverpool are flying, this city is a buzz and it's incredible. And, you know, when one team's going higher than the other, it's difficult. And last season was was, was difficult. So um, I remain cautiously optimistic and, and hopefully we might see, you know, we'll never see a season like the last one because uh, I think we all ease a bit after that one. Yeah, definitely. And there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode from A View from the Bullens. Absolutely brilliant guest and Richard Buxton covered all things basis, all things Everton Takeover. We hope you enjoyed the episodes. Um, there's a load more content, a load more episodes in the pipeline to come. So all the very best. Take care. Stay safe. All the best. Goodbye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 